1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Just
0: on Rap. Welcome to the Seminole Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Peller, and along with our resident smart guys, John March and Juan Montalvo. Plenty to talk about this week in college football, especially here in Florida with the Noles and the Canes naming new leaders at the AD position Miami. Also firing and hiring a coach since our last show nine days ago. Fun times down in Coral Gables, of course, FSU losing a coach within the ACC as well. Lots and lots of coaching carousel talk. We'll have that coming up. Plus, we'll look back to the 2021 season in Tallahassee, talk MVPs, groups that grew, Groups that need to grow heading into next season. Plenty to cover. But I do want to start with the newest national champions at FSU. The soccer team defeated BYU in penalty kicks after two overtimes. Final there, 0-0. That's some soccer for you. 4-3 split on the PKs. Uh, just a thrilling performance in the tournament. Most of their games one zero. Defense allowed one goal the entire tournament. I'm not going to pretend to break down soccer for you. Don't worry about hitting the 15-second skip ahead. Uh, was awesome to see the program claim a third title in their last eight years and, and doing so in thrilling fashion. Uh, so, you know, great program, tremendous work. And, and of course, we're proud of them. That uh, program certainly something that new AD Mike Alford won't have to change as he gets set to take over here. Of course, Alford announcement came out earlier today as the new athletic director at FSU, today being Thursday as we tape this. Uh, it was reported flirtation with Louisville AD Vince Tyra it seemed like uh, that was going to be the hire. Last couple of days, things have kind of shifted around, but we did eventually settle on Alford for this position. I guess keeping it in house per se. Uh, you know, Alford was serving as the president and CEO of the Seminole Booster Club. Guys, new head man in town. What do we think?
2: Well, you know, he may be new, new, uh, new in the in the Moore Center. I guess technically speaking, but you know, he's obviously not new to to that FSU Um, he's been here I think three years now since Andy Miller retired Um, he has been a no two years um, and he's been a very good leader of Seminole boosters he's uh, raised fundraising significantly Um, season ticket levels are back to where they were I believe as well as uh, booster numbers have gone up and you know there he's adopting you know not necessarily the if Clemson I pay 10 a year strategy but you know, trying to get small donations and pull people back into being, being in the cycle of being a booster so that you don't lose them. Um, you know, I know that when we, when I, I was coming out of FSU, if they they had set it up. Basically, there was a recent graduate program that kept stuff cheap. until you turn like 24 and it's like you're, you needed your income to magically double to uh, to match the requirement for the booster. So um, I think they're finding ways to get a little more creative, a little more engagement. And basically, you know, he found a lot of, you know, unique new ways to approach things while working as Seminole Boosters uh, CEO. And so I think having him in in the athlete, as, as the head of the athletic director department um, is only a positive. Um, he's going to be you know more hands on. Definitely not going to have to hire a uh, soccer coach after with Mark Corey and having three titles in a decade. But um, yeah. I'm sure there will be you know, there's always openings that will be coming up throughout. Um, but he has plenty of experience. I mean, he was the central Michigan athletic director before he came to Florida state prior to that, he was instrumental both at Oklahoma and Alabama, as well as uh, was, uh, doing a stint in the NFL. I mean, the guy has a fantastic pedigree. Um, he's already displayed good things at FSU. Uh, I don't really see much of a downside. Vince tire had some detractors in, in the athletic community, I suppose, one of the contributors of Tomahawk nation uh, worked in that space and in that sphere for a while. And um, he was not as favorably looked upon as his predecessor, Tom Jurich prior to his scandals, of course. Uh, But Tyra would have been an okay hire. Um, I think, you know, having Alfred here probably scared some people away. I mean, you know, he effectively functioned as part of the athletic department. Um, Well, he, as the seven booster CEO uh, the scope is a lot larger, in my opinion, with Seminole Boosters, with projects they're involved in, College Town, some other realty things, but long story short, he's a solid guy that you can count on for the future. Uh, President McCullough of FSU is, is only a few months into his new position, but he's found a guy who has experienced both at FSU in, and in athletics to, to help move his administration forward, so... I think it's good for continuity. It's, it's good for, for not just the football program, but all the programs. Um, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I don't,
1: I personally, and I don't know really a whole lot about athletic director of the role and how they choose guys and things like that. But I will say, I thought it was strange going after Tyra what it looked like offer uh, was going to be a shoe in for the job. Um, yeah. It, it doesn't really matter to me. I, I don't, the whole thing with Tyra doesn't matter. Uh, I know a lot of people got upset about it. Uh, oh my God. You know, what are we going to do? blah blah. blah. I, it just, my, my, I, I mean, I'm going to make jokes. So my, my takeaway was uh, Louisville is, is messy. They, they like Juan had talked about, they've been messy for a long time. Uh, but I do think Alford's a great hire. So it's pretty exciting. Um I, I know he wanted the job. I, who knows if, if he didn't get it, you know, if Tyra had been hired, if Alford would have left or not Uh, vote, thankfully we don't have to worry about that. So I'm happy. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope Louisville continues to stay messy. I think that's fun.
2: Yeah. I think <laughs> there's, you know, there's really no need for FSU fans by any means to be embarrassed about the whole tire situation. Louisville is weird. I mean, you know, they, 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 they started this whole process like a week ago, um, with with like murmurs from I think it was Pat Forty or or uh, Pete the Mel that FSU was just, you know actively exploring athletic director options, and then the Vince Tyra name popped up, and everyone's like, okay, interesting. And then you know it came out that Vince Tyra might be leaving because uh, the 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 president of Louisville at that time, Anila P. I'm not going to attempt her name. Uh, was and, and him had a very fractured relationship, and it seemed like that was one of the reasons Tyra was leaving. Then the president left and went to replace former FSU president uh, Eric Barron at Penn State, and so then it seemed like he was going to stay, but then he resigned anyway. I mean, so it's just a really weird situation all around. I mean, the 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 Louisville the Louisville administration is completely messy to to, to 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 stay out of four-letter words uh so i mean i wouldn't take anything away from that as far as you know FSU's stature or embarrassment or anything like that i mean the only the only people that need to be embarrassed in this whole thing are the louisville people what a mess they are
0: yeah and something to consider too is, is i believe pat 40 um is is very ingrained around Louisville. Um, so, so, you know, no. that could that could be Tyra trying to, as you talked about before, step out uh, of that and and use that to, to put his name out there. And at that point, if you're FSU, I mean, reach out, and listen, if he's interested, um, whether or not he was their first choice, no want to let her say. But when you fall back on a guy like this, who, who has the fundraising abilities already in place and has those relationships, you, you could definitely have done worse. Um, and I have to do the selfless promotion here for us. We do have a, a exclusive one-on-one from just four months ago uh, with Michael Alford. Uh, Knowles through and through did that one. You can find it on our website. It's linked in our article about Alford hiring. So just go ahead and find that article. Scroll down to the bottom you can read it Plenty of back and forth about fundraising his time at central Michigan coming to FSU. He makes a joke about how much the weather is better. Uh, plenty to read, plenty to catch up on. And, and, you know, he gives his opinion on his relationship with the athletic director at the time and, and the university as a whole. So, um, you know, if you want to hear about it and read more about it, there's plenty of it there for you. We talked about how one um, avoided the four letter words there. So we avoid the, the, E rating but the athletic director search in Miami and maybe the the football coach might need the four-letter words uh the Canes hiring Mario Cristobal from Oregon while still having Manny Diaz lined up and, and Dan Radakovich from Clemson as their athletic director uh that news all coming in in the last week since we last taped as well Cristobal obviously the big splash name but, you, you know, I, I think they're also very happy to go to Clemson and, and weaken that athletic department. It felt like a disaster. But, you know, if they get their guys, does it matter? Do you think this changes the way – this the, the, our perspective on the state of Florida as FSU tries to build their way
2: out of it? I mean, I think it, it, it signals very clearly that not only do the Miami Hurricanes have intent, they are – you know, they're going for it. Um, yeah. You know, they're pushing i mean they uh i think i sent a tweet to john about this the other or yesterday or the day before um but you know they're 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 getting a lot of high profile visitors and to bring in high profile visitors for recruiting visits in college football uh requires extracurricular financial activities um you don't just call them up and say hey do you want to come if you're talking to a five-star kid like uh you know marvin jones i guess would be one but um they they've been able to bring in some big names or, you know, schedule some big names to come visit in just the the couple of days that, that Mario Cristobal has taken over. Um, They got their guy in Mario Cristobal. They got their guy in Dan uh, Rakodich who was a very good uh, athletic director at Clemson as well as at Georgia tech before that. Um, I mean, he's, they they, uh, they're, you know, serious now um they have they clearly have money to spend and they're serious about spending it and at that at this point unfortunately it does look like they're making decent or good decisions with the money um you know i don't think mario cristobal is going to be like the last coach that came to a big three florida school from from oregon um, <laughs> he, he is not a Willie taggart uh he's a coach with documented success at the power five level at oregon now i mean took him to a Rose bowl. I think, um, you know, he's, he's a legitimately successful power five head coach taken away from a big job. Whereas, uh, (laughs) FSU had, had a guy looking at his dream job and Willie Taggart and got Willie Taggart. So, I mean, it's, while it's very funny that two really down on their luck, big Florida programs were able to just take the coaches they wanted from Oregon. Um, it is a serious concern. You know, I mean, when, when you were looking at a a lame duck Miami Diaz or Manny Diaz season with this recruiting class that was going to be poor, relatively poor, and then a a transition class in the following year and not a real guarantee that they'd have a good coach. It looked like a really good thing for Florida state. Um, Now that they have a serious coach and he's in place and they look to be getting big parts, you know, for his staff, I think, you know, you do have to be concerned. I mean, when, when you're, when a rival does things that appear intelligent, it's, it's not good. (laughs) Yeah. I can't really say anything positive for FSU with regards to Miami making good moves, obviously.
0: Yeah. And they get to do it with, with the, you know, with the guy that they clearly wanted a guy who's been in the program as a player, as a grad assistant. And, you know, he went through the Nick Saban car wash uh, the, what do we call it? John, the, the, coaching rehab facility at Alabama I mean you know he's been through it and and is back now in charge where clearly they're going to give him all the power and like we talked about they we've said it before we'll see we'll believe that Miami's going to spend the money when they do well they have and and, you know John I don't I I think obviously Cristobal is is not uh I think I saw where the roster is is in the top 20 I think in terms of talent and and they obviously seem to have found their quarterback that's obviously a, a great starting point for a new coach
1: yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you guys said. Um, I mean, Miami's all, already kind of a built-in attractive option in the transfer portal. Um, I yeah. think Manny Diaz was relying over-relying on that a little bit too much. And we know Cristobal can recruit. So I, I expect them to put together uh, some good teams. My only reservation is um, not really a reservation. I'm just saying like suspicions or skepticism uh, would be grounded in – how Cristobal was hired, that was also extremely messy, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, it's not that I feel bad for Manny Diaz, really. I mean, that's the business. It's just it t- seemed to me from far, far outside looking in that it was just a bunch of boosters who got together, which I know this is how this happens, but they did it publicly. It was kind of messy. No one seemed to be able to agree on anything um maybe they were just a few of them were just leaking it to radio guys in in miami who were kind of spinning it but you know it did it did happen uh for them that's what they, they got what they wanted uh all i know is i or what i expect is that the expectations for crystal ball are going to be sky high because now, you know, they believe Miami's, they're committed. We're, you know, finally reporting Monday, the football program, we got our guy, how much time are they going to give him? How much time is he going to need? I think those questions are still out there. Uh, But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Like I said, I think he'll do a better job than Manny Diaz or any coach uh, since Miami last won a title um, or even before Larry Coker, but you know, I, (laughs) I guess that's where I'm at. I'm kind of in a wait and see. They got they got everything that they wanted, but if it doesn't work out, we're four or five years from now, then what does it look like? You know, where does Miami go from there?
2: I think it'll probably end up looking like, you know, what Mark Richt looked like at Georgia, sort of, you know, the the, the level of mediocrity that you can't really fire. I mean, in a large part of that is they're in a really weak division. Um, and we don't know if or when the ACC will add Notre Dame and go to pods or add somebody else and go to pods. You just, with these weird alliances and all that going on in alignment, you just don't know. Um, So it looks like until that happens, they're going to be pretty much the dominant team in the coastal. Um, And the one place I will disagree with you on is, well, I think it appeared messy if you were following, you know, the moment to moment updates on Twitter. Um, They were, I think they were, experiencing what happens when uh big time boosters who are used to manipulating the media aren't getting their way. Um, yeah. Because you, it was just like, it, it, it felt as though like the Oregon people would leak something or, you know, someone would leak something and then Barry Jackson got a text from one of the big boosters. Uh, and you could probably, it's probably Manny Cadre, uh, realistically <laughs> just thinking about it. But who uh, he owns like eleven car dealerships or something. Anyway, um, getting 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 annoyed about one of the ways it, something was being reported. Sending a text to Barry Jackson, Florida Sports Buzz on Twitter, uh, Miami Herald guy, and Barry tweeting out there. Um, the Miami side believes that blah blah blah. I mean, it might have as well have been the official Miami Hurricanes football Twitter account saying uh, they believe they 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 they're waiting for Cristobal to be able to tell his team. Like that, let's say, 12-hour period where it was like, okay, Cristobal's going to accept the job, but they haven't fired Manny yet. And they didn't want to fire Manny because they didn't want Cristobal to, you know, or Cristobal needed to be fully, you know, signed uh, before they did that. Uh, It's like, it seemed messy, but at the end of the day, I think it's really how most coaching hires go. And you just got to see a little bit, the the process a little bit more publicly because this is the first time these people with money are really playing in the football game. So,
0: yeah. And, and, you know, I I brought it up a few times uh, that, you know, the executive producer for Levitard Show, Mike Ryan Ruiz has been saying for for a month now, I know he is a, uh, I guess, golden hurricane booster or whatever and and decided to, to put information out there. And of course he's as a homer as a homer can get you know, he had been saying for about a month now that they are in the works to hire Mario Cristobal. That was the plan, period, and whatever. And um, his – his um, now that they've made the hire on, on what had happened uh, with the messiness was there was a contingent in the board who felt that if they were going to put money into the program, they should give Manny the chance to use that money to, to – Basically, we didn't support him well enough before. If we're going to put money in, we should give Manny the chance to use that money to succeed. But the larger contingent in the board said, if I'm putting the money in, we're going to get the right coach. I'm not waiting to see if this guy can figure it out with just a couple more dollars. Scared and and that's where the divide money. came in. What was that?
2: Scared money don't make money.
0: Right. And, I, and, I, and like like we talked about, if you're going to end up making the hires and even if it ends up being a, a public mess if you got your guys does it matter they got both the guys they were hoping for and i think that helps
1: well i i don't think it was just going after their guy i miami's kind of been a laughingstock for a long time now it's been 20 years since, yeah. since they had a title they didn't they didn't do this just to go get mario cristobal they did this because they quote unquote want miami to be back as yeah. we've always joked for the last 15 years that you know all these things came back before miami That's what they're really trying to buy here. So we're talking, it's not just going to get Mario Cristobal. It's, it's, it's conference titles and playoff berths. So that, and I know maybe they'll get lucky because the playoff expansion will come right as, you know, maybe uh, Cristobal has their teams peaking. Hopefully I think that's probably what they're hoping. Uh, And it's not a bad strategy. It's just, uh, if he doesn't deliver on that, it's, it's, you know, they'll be back right here.
2: But the thing is I, th- I think that the expectations they have there are not yes they want to compete for championships obviously at the level that that they did you know from 1983 to 2001 or whatever it was but i am i think there is maybe not in the fan base or the middle management of the 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 miami group or whatever you'd call it uh but there's probably some rationality that you know, they are somewhat geographically limited. I mean they're they've got Orlando is the biggest uh, is the biggest city within a three hour drive. So I mean, you know, you have obviously the large population of South Florida, but you don't it's a little bit different. I mean they they, they really have a long ways to go in terms of facilities to get to where they need to be to compete. They say they're gonna do it. They had one insane booster who said they were going to tear down Coral Gables high school um <laughs> to build an in, or build a new stadium uh, they're not going to have that happen and the city of Coral Gables well the town of Coral Gables said that no we're not giving our high no. school to the to the football program um but I mean I think they'll be more patient with Mario Cristobal because he's he's a real Miami guy like Manny Diaz was a Florida State guy I mean at the end of yeah. at the beginning of the day like he started his coaching career as a video assistant for FSU and Chuck Amato uh, in the late 90s and into the early 2000s, followed Chuck to NC State, uh, you know, had a few jobs around that. But he never, you know, he, he went undergrad to FSU. He coached at FSU. I mean, he was not a Miami guy. Mario Cristobal played at Miami. He's Went to Columbus, a bro. I mean he yeah, he he uh he would have worn a turnover chain if they had it back in his day, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, he is a Miami guy. I mean, you know, Manny Diaz was the mayor's kid. This is the real, you know, son of the program, so to speak. So I think people yeah. have that little extra, you know, leniency. Plus, I think because this is their you know, first major foray back into big college football, they have they have to know that they're a little behind, that they're well. More than a little behind with with a 55 yard indoor practice facility, no on campus stadium, stadium an hour away, uh, all that's all the factors that we've talked about. It's not going to stop them from being a consistent coastal contender, and I think that can be good enough to you know scratch a playoff berth here or there. But for sure, uh, they're not uh, in the 12 system, mind you, not in the four system. Um, But that's probably you know what the what their their board really wants and i mean if you listen to the interviews that uh university of miami president julio frank did with with the uh, miami herald it's basically look we you know we don't want to be the laughing stock. like you the you health is a very strong brand throughout south Florida. like i talked about last week that's where i got my lasik done i mean they're <laughs> a very prominent you know Strong member of the facility, and they want to make sure that the U a- athletic brand is also respectable. So they may not be, you know, national title every year, playoff every year. But I think their expectations probably aren't as high as their initial ambitions are gonna are, are looking. I think I think they're, they're probably gonna take a little longer term view.
0: Yeah, and I I think the easiest way for for. Both programs between Miami and and uh, Florida State to uh, really get the the money the that influx of cash. Uh, if the ACC figures out a way to start bringing in more money, because uh, I think if anything, I mean the TV deals are are absolutely night and day below other programs or other conferences. I don't know if that means realignment. Maybe look at the SEC or whatever, but. I, I don't know. I, that's just totally probably years down the road and out there and wishful thinking, but I just, I, I don't know. The, the ACC seems to be incapable of getting out of its own way. Um, speaking of other, other coaching moves, um, Florida State losing one of their own, Chris Marv, heading to Virginia Tech to be the defensive coordinator. It's, I don't think this school's confirmed it yet, but it looks like Randy Shannon heading in to be the uh, replacement linebacker coach. And uh, I looked this up before the show and uh I, I sprung it on john earlier so one this will be a surprise to you i i googled randy shannon's name to see if there was any confirmation that i could see didn't see it but on the uh florida lists randy shannon as the present interim head coach at uh florida university of florida it says coaching experience 2017 to present interim head coach randy shannon <laughs> so that's funny. apparently dan mullen the whole time he was just uh he was just uh, a figurehead as Randy Shannon was, was running the show behind him, but uh, it's a change on the coaching staff and anything significant there.
1: Um, Significant. I maybe, um, <laughs> I mean, I look, I think Randy Shannon, I think linebackers coach is a great spot for him. I think that's the right level for him. Um it, It's hard for me to believe in him as, as like say a potential replacement for uh, Fuller uh, as some fans have, have probably Want or, or will want in the future um, Just watching Jimbo coach circles around him for Too many years I I, I like Randy Shannon as a position Coach I think linebackers is the right Position for him back when he was The head coach there they always had some Good linebackers um, For Marv Uh, I think he seems to be a good guy. Everyone likes him. I think, uh, I don't think he was a bad position coach at all. Um, But what I've heard, and I'm not big into into the recruiting side of it, uh, but that's what I've heard a lot is that he didn't quite um, pull enough on the trail to justify. I mean, he's not like a top 10 linebackers coach in the country. Right. So um, you kind of have to, and what Florida state really needs right now is to up the talent level of the program Uh, I don't know Juan and I've talked about this we are have talked about this over the last uh, season, but you want to see Florida state start recruiting at a 50% or above blue chip rate. And you need a staff of guys on the trail who can get it done. And I don't think that uh, based on what we saw that Marvel was at that level, but again, he's a nice guy. That's how it goes. I think Virginia tech is a good landing spot for him. Uh, I am a little bit surprised. He got a promotion, uh, but I do think that's a good thing. Reflects well on Norvell. Um, I thought he might leave for another linebackers coach uh, uh, slot somewhere else. But, uh, you know, congrats to him and his family. I I wish them nothing but the best. And I I
2: think that uh, Randy Shannon
1: should be a positive, especially with his his South Florida
2: recruiting ties.
1: Um,
2: So I'm all good. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the real question for me here is – if you're a Virginia Tech fan, um, and you know Brent Pry is considered by the football writers of the world to be a pretty good hire for them, and he just hired this guy to be your defensive coordinator, I mean, you know, look, um, no disrespect to Coach Barnes himself as a person or anything, um, but he hasn't shown me anything where I would put him in the conversation, even for interim defensive coordinator had uh, Adam Fuller been fired during the season or or anything like that. He is a a notoriously poor recruiter, despite being young and African-American, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure part of, you know, he was, the idea is that he connects well with kids and he does so when they're on campus, but it doesn't seem to translate to the recruiting trail for whatever reason. He's just not, you know, he's a bit of an introvert from what I've heard uh, a little bit, but that's not what you need. Um, I don't think Randy Shannon is necessarily a big upgrade. Um, I think he's a significant upgrade as the linebackers coach. Um, and as you mentioned, he's still got those South Florida connections. I know our old buddy, Uncle Luke, probably is, a, but, you know, he's, he's always a fan of Randy Shannon getting a promotion. And so he and his committee and cabal of head coaches of Miami football will uh, probably open their doors once more with their – to allow – Their presence to be graced by uh the other guys but yeah i mean i think randy shannon's you know undoubtedly a good linebacker coach um it's going to be a step up in terms of coaching which is good because that is one of the weakest position groups on roster um but i don't know that you know you're getting i don't know if randy shannon's going to recruit to the same level he did when he was a 40 year old you know I mean, he, he clearly gets out there and kids are already seeming to like him. And I think he had been mentioned by kids throughout the fall, just as when he was an analyst. So it, it, it looks like he's got the work ethic and at least an outgoing personality in a way that Chris Farm just didn't. And so so um, yeah, I, I think it's an upgrade. I mean, I don't think, you know, uh, or I think it was too easy. And the other, the other side of this token is, I mean, if you hire some other linebackers coach to replace Chris Marv, you probably lose Randy Shannon, the analyst. So, you know, I mean, it's, that's one of the, the, the items they probably had to consider there as well. Um, So overall, you know, I mean, you probably went from a C minus linebackers coach, including his recruiting duties to a B minus to B, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's an upgrade. There's no doubt.
0: For his uh, maybe reasoning for hiring Marv uh, Pry did coach him. Marv was was a linebacker uh, under Pry when uh, James Franklin and that group were at Vanderbilt. That's kind of when. Then from there, uh, Marv became a defensive quality coach and whatnot at Vanderbilt. So I'm sure maybe he he looked at him as a leader when his time in Vanderbilt and then felt that maybe could tie in well with his scheme or understood what he has going on as a coach. That that could be the tie there.
2: Yeah, or, I mean, that, that same justification was used for Jody Allen being a defensive uh, ends coach at Florida State. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> nepotism can have success, sure, but yeah, uh, I, I, I just – I didn't see any anything there. And we really never heard anything that, you know, oh, Coach Marv was helping Fuller with the game plan or Coach Marv was yeah. instrumental in the execution and design of the scheme, blah, blah, blah there just wasn't ever anything there that led me to believe, you know, he was the guy. So I don't know. Good for, good for uh, Virginia Tech. Good for Coach Marv. I mean, it's obviously a big step up. He's he's only a couple of years older than I am and probably now makes at least 40 times my salary. Um, so good for him. Um, probably good for Florida State and hopefully good for Virginia Tech because that'll keep Miami down a little bit.
0: Yeah. And um, of course, you know, it's not just the coaches moving around. We are, we are seeing a lot of players uh, it's transfer portal and recruiting season. Uh, obviously I think we'll probably talk more recruiting next week on the show. We've got a lot of guys that are either committed or well, I guess committed or, or considering or offered, I guess would be the correct word. i given my recruiting brain on for Florida state who are supposed to announce their commitment in the next week. So I think that'll be something we can touch on then. But it's, the, it's transfer portal time. Um, and, and obviously we've got six guys from the program. Jalen uh, Goss, 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 I don't know. Uh, a couple of offensive linemen, a few linebackers, tight end, defensive tackle. Not many guys, I think, that make a big difference in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and a couple of linebackers declaring for the draft. Kalen Brooks and Emmett Rice saying they're going NFL Um, And then returning, maybe the big one is defensive tackle Robert Cooper, uh, you know, keeping you with some depth as you lose your your two D ends there. I I don't think there's anything major. Are there any major names we're looking for? Uh, Maybe guys to watch in the transfer portal right now would be Micah Pittman, receiver from Oregon. He's he's out there transferring. He's supposed to be visiting campus this weekend Uh, and also defensive end Jared Verse. He's from Albany. Um, He's also visiting this weekend. He's kind of that guy that maybe they could look at to fill in some of that Keir Thomas, Jermaine Johnson type stuff. He's not obviously to that pedigree where they're coming from SEC programs, but something to keep an eye on here in the next week or so. If you're looking around, anything stand out to you guys to look at, or or are we ready to move on to kind of looking back to 2021?
2: I'd like to see if if, um, Julian Armella – yeah, if they can, if they can actually bring him in, I mean, he if they if they can get him to sign early, I think they have a pretty good chance of keeping him. He's going to be coming in, and he's he's a guy that is, you know, his recruiting ranking has probably fallen since his you know emergence as like a sophomore two years ago because um, he was just a big guy early on and did really nicely. But you know, it'd be nice to pick up an alumni uh, blue chip legacy uh, offensive lineman. He may not be the tackle we all expected one or two years ago, but you know, I mean, it it it'd still be really nice to get him. I mean, and obviously, can't 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 go on enough about their, them having needs at offensive lineman, receiver, and defensive end. Now that they've lost Jermaine Tom, uh, Johnson and and Keir Thomas, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think Azaria Thomas coming in would be a great athlete. But really, the other the other three we just discussed uh, that includes Jared Verse, the defensive end from Albany those are really the guys that I would, I would, you know, if I had to throw away one to take three, it would be, it would be uh, as Thomas, unfortunately, it's just where we are. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I don't, again, I'm not really a recruiting guy. I, I guess I'll take <laughs> the, the 10,000 foot view. Like I, like I usually do. Um, again, I, I think the only goal here is 50% flip over. I, I heard something like they, they're expecting maybe, attrition of 25 guys or somewhere in that area, maybe even more, maybe trying to get a waiver to uh, sign up to 30 or, or whatever that was. So look, as much as you can flip it as possible, you got to, you know, um, you still had the last classes of, of Jimbo Fisher on the books last season. Uh, obviously Willie Taggart's classes. Um, a lot of those guys are starting, but the, the uh, big chunks of, of his classes just didn't really do much. You got to wipe those guys off the books. And again, get up to 50% of blue chip recruiting. You're going to have to do that for several years in a row to flip this roster. It's going to take time. I just want to see, I want to see it now with this class. And if they don't, I don't think it's, it's a killer, but um, I want to see it for this class. And you're going to have to have it for two, three, four years in a row to really say, okay, yeah, now the roster has been flipped. Um, But getting, you know, some of the kids out who aren't going to contribute, is obviously net plus, even if you have to rely heavily on the portal for the next uh, two more classes. Um, But like what was saying, you know, replace the defensive ends because Keir Thomas and Jermaine Johnson are going to be enormous losses. You're not really going to be able to replace them. Uh, But you do what you can. And, uh, again, just hit your recruiting target. And I think Florida State will still, you know, be on track.
0: Yeah, and I think something to consider, you know, I mean, where we're at in college football, you're going to see a lot of transfers. I wouldn't look up and, and see, you know, if you see a, a handful of guys' names and you're like, oh my God, it seems like the whole roster is transferring. It's okay. It's just where college football is at this point. You know, a lot of teams are seeing guys transfer. It's just, it's all right. They'll get replaced. There'll be new guys. We'll move on.
2: Okay. Well, I'm going to list the guys who are currently planning to leave FSU at this point, real quick. And Got it. You're going to, you guys are going to play a little game here. You're going to try to point, you're, point out the theme I'm going for. Okay. Offensive tackle, Jalen Goss, going pro in something other than sports. Offensive guard, Ira Henry, going pro in something other than sports. Linebacker, DeCaylen Brooks, going pro in something other than sports. Tight end, Carter Boatwright. Guess what he's doing? Something pro and other than sports. Same thing I'm doing. He's going to be probably
0: hosting a podcast, Florida State podcast in a couple years, I guess.
2: Jaleel McRae has a, the potential for a career in something other than sports, but he overran that play too. Uh, there's really, I mean, Emmett Rice had a, a, a decent career with the, that was just really held up by injuries. He's the only one who you're going to miss because you don't have the depth uh, at, at linebacker that you'd like, but even he was a limited player. Um, they got a lot out of him his final years playing in FSU or final year playing in FSU, I guess last year, really. Um, but this, about the eight guys that left and uh, you know there's eight, there's eight more spots on the roster for good bodies
0: yeah and I think that's part of it you know and, and what John was talking about the the turnover of the roster it allows you to have that you got to have guys leave to bring in new guys it's just unfortunately the, the talent isn't there so as you do lose players that, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know whether he's got, these guys are, are talented, but, you know, if you're losing guys who weren't making a difference, odds are you're losing guys who weren't going to make that difference.
2: You lost four linebackers, one of whom ever yeah. really played a significant significant good time um, because DeKalen Brooks and Jacqueline McRae both saw playing time, but it certainly wasn't significant good playing time.
1: Right, and I apologize to – I saw someone's tweet, and I can't attribute it to – because I forgot who tweeted it out. But somebody um, on the FSU Beat had tweeted that I think if you get the kind of attrition that we're talking about here, there's a chance that going into next season, about 70, I think it was, uh, 70 players out of the 85 scholarship could be all guys that Norvell has signed. And that's fantastic. But at the same time, it's still not the talent level that you want to achieve at Florida State. So even though – I think that speaks more to flipping the culture, which I think a lot of that happened this year. Finally, we've been talking about that for three seasons. Um, That's what it goes to having Norvell's standard and the culture and the things that he wants and the kids that he wants to bring in, but you're still going to have to raise the talent level. And that's just going to take more time.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And and John and I have talked about this a lot and you know, the, the, the blue chip ratio of of 50% blue chips per class is always a good, um, uh, a, a good view of where a team is but one thing that uh 24 7 has done very well is they've done a team talent composite which basically takes all the players that are currently on roster because okay you sign 50 percent of the blue chips you're going to get some attrition uh of, of course um but i mean if you go to a place like alabama they have you know of the 85 scholarships they have on a roster obviously Nick Saban recruited all 85 you know Florida State's got a long way to go just in that aspect um but 74 of those 85 blue ch- uh, players are blue chips like it is laughably absurd I mean just how good that roster is um you know for for reference Florida State has t- just 29 blue chip players on uh, 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 on the roster right now um that puts them at like 20th in current talent, which is really not good. I mean, for reference, you know, Miami has 45 blue chip players, uh, which is over half their roster. Florida has 56. They're both top 15 teams in that respect. So you got a long way to go to catch up to your rivals. I mean, and you know, losing, losing talent, losing, losing untalented players, uh, through attrition is not the end of the world so it's just a matter of like you said John who he brings in and and to get to that point where half your roster stays blue chips you've got to sign that 50% consistently i mean you right. need probably to have to have and retain 45 uh, 45 blue chip players over a four year cycle so you know that's 12 a class roughly uh, so uh, it's going to be tough to, to do. I mean, it takes, it's it takes, it takes 50% for four years to get to 50%. It takes, you know, 75% to get to 50 you know, to, 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 to 50% in two years. You know what I mean? Right.
0: Yeah. And, and unfortunately they're, they're, you know, we talk about those guys are the ones who are transferring or, or trying to go pro, but there are, you know, you are losing seniors like Jermaine Johnson and Kier Thomas, who will make a huge difference. I'm sure they'll come up quite a bit in this last segment, we're doing a season recap. There's no Brian's bets because the bowl season's coming. Also, if you're interested in that, we are going to do a bowl pick up. i got to write up that article and let you guys know everything. But let's look back at the season that was, 2021 for the Seminoles. Obviously, five and seven. But I want to kind of look just position player by player. And, and I want to start with the MVP. And John, I will let you guys flip a coin and decide who goes first here. Who do you think was the most important player most valuable player, I guess I should say, for Florida State this year. So So I want
1: to be clear. How's it tails? Tails never fails. Tails.
0: There you
2: go,
1: radio. You go first. Okay, okay. So um, I just want to be clear. My MVP is Jordan Travis. I want to be clear, though. I do not believe that he was the best player on the scene. But to me, he was uh, its most valuable player. Um, Just – what he gave to the offense, uh, clearly better than any other uh, any other option at quarterback this season. Uh, that was clear. All the numbers backed it up. Uh, you know, when he gets even half of the season, the sample size was large enough. Mackenzie Milton just wasn't um, who he thought. You know, and that was always a gamble. But you know, did pay off. It's all right. But George Travis is the guy. He clearly makes the offense uh, much much better when he's on the field. Unfortunately, he can't say um, healthy either. But. Uh, that's part of why he's my most valuable player is when he was on the field, he made uh, an incredible difference. He made Florida state almost single-handedly competitive um, on the games that he was out, you know, like Jacksonville state, uh, Florida state lost games that they wouldn't have lost if he had played. Um, you know, even when he was injured, you know, Florida state lost chances to win games uh, just because he was off the field, even for a few drives. So uh, he's my most valuable player. The kid is a warrior. Um, he's not, he's not a perfect quarterback. He's not a, I don't think he's a great quarterback at this point, but he's very good. I think he has a chance to ascend to the upper echelon to the ACC next season. I'm very excited uh, for him. I hope he makes loads of money with his fourth and 14
2: merchandise. Um, So
1: yeah, I'm excited to see that kid next season.
2: Yeah. I mean uh, there's no doubt Jordan had a really good year, but look, Jermaine Johnson, I mean, he's, He's, I, th- I think he's got his second uh, official All-American award, and he's going to undoubtedly be a consensus All-American. Um, he's stands a really good chance of being a top 50 pick uh, in, in the draft, and he was probably the best defensive end we've seen at FSU since Brian Burns, since Brian Burns for sure, but I think probably since, shoot, who, uh, I think I would say Bjorn Werner. I mean, He's probably the best guy you've had the last 10 years at that position. He's that good, in my opinion. Um, And so I think it's hard to underestimate just – I'm sorry. It's hard to overestimate just how much a defensive end who can impact the quarterback does for a team. Um, Interior pressure, obviously, is even better. I mean, Timmy Jernigan was one of the most disruptive players in college football when he was at four State. But when you have a defensive end who can go in and just you know <laughs> destroy quarterbacks, and I mean, what, what did he get? End up with twelve sacks on the season, I think. Finally,
1: um, it was something like that. He he was tossing offensive tackles every week. So
2: every yeah, week. he's super athletic and not you know th- not that big. He's not like your you know two hundred eighty pound type guy. So. I think he he changed the, the the level of the defense. He made it so that the that uh, Adam Fuller was able to work around a bad linebacker group coached by Virginia Tech defense coordinator. Um, but the, the the he really, I think, is the best and most valuable player on the team. I think sure the drop off for for Jordan below him, we saw evident in several games that it was a serious problem, but. I don't think that he, you know, I mean, that's I think the most valuable player on the team was Jermaine Johnson. I think he really changed the way stuff worked around him um, in a way that, of course, you know, Travis clearly does. But it's 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 different when, you know, a team is focused around a quarterback on offense. When there's one player on defense, which is traditionally looked at as a collection of individuals rather than a collection of talent working together when there's a one individual who changes everything for the other individuals, that's special. He was a special player. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to underestimate or hard to overestimate just how, how important that, uh, that, uh, that can be for a defense.
0: Wow. So I guess I have to break the tie because I came in fully prepared for it to be one of those two guys. And I sat on this, I thought about this topic going into last week's show, decided to hold it for this week. And I was so still torn a week forward. later.
2: I want to. I'm going to guess that you're going to pick Tate Rodabanker.
0: <laughs> oh uh, no, no, Tate didn't make Kaylee, the list. Caelin DeLoach. Caelin DeLoach. Tate Tate's performance against Florida definitely put him on the list. Um, he was definitely under consideration. No. I, I, last week, I really thought I was going to go with Jordan um, because I thought it was night and day from what he gave you versus the other quarterbacks. Um, But as the time is going on, I've trended towards Jermaine Johnson, and and I'm going to go with him for what you you said, Juan. I think when you look back years from now, and the story of this team is going to be the the growth of Jordan Travis and the ability – I mean, if you get to 6-6 and this year, I think you look back and go, boy, Jermaine Johnson carried a defense too. I mean, obviously, Keir Thomas was a huge help, but – that defensive pass rush works a lot of ways where you got to have one strong guy on the other side and the other dude just picks up slack, you know, and, and obviously Kier is great, but the level that Jermaine gave you, I, I'll go there. You guys both laid out the arguments for both. As much as I love Jordan. Also, I probably think we're going with Jordan next year anyway. So instead of doubling up two years, I don't know if that's a terrible reason to go for it, but we'll move on. So that way I can sweep it under the rug and not make my decision any harder than I think it already was. Uh, here's what I'm interested in. Most improved position group. One maybe you thought coming into the year wasn't going to be such a strength of the team or, or, or was a maybe a liability It became solid. Uh, John went first last round. Juan, do you have a most improved position
2: group? You know, I was originally going to go with defensive end. But then I decided that's too easy. Um, quarterbacks. I mean, cornerbacks I, I, get a lot of the blame when, when passes are completed. But, I mean, you really saw – I think improvement in technique from that position group. I mean, you had guys who were, you know, you always had guys who were decent enough at getting in phase and 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 uh, you know staying with their man just because they're ta- they're talented athletic players. But I think you actually saw a little bit better technique in terms of when they would turn their head around, you know, how they would hand fight, uh, technique at the line playing playing you know off man and 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 uh, and, and you know bump and run type coverages they're they're asked to do a lot in this defense and they really stepped up i think you know i mean people will always hate jarvis brownley i'm gonna play the state that plainly because of the 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 final play of the jacksonville state game but that's you know that's a kid who had a really good year after pretty rough start to his career and a rougher start to the year um you know obviously the whole team did but after that the final six seven games he was pretty solid i mean and the other guys that they have there i mean you know the, the the safeties are good too i guess the whole defensive backs group did did improve quite a bit but i think the cornerbacks you know there's other they're always going to get the blame like i said but they really don't deserve it they they improved quite a bit this year that's where i was oh. going to go theft theft john <laughs> Theft. he stole it well, from
0: me go ahead john
1: well that's the thing yeah i'm gonna uh, yeah I'm, we're gonna flip the script here because i'm gonna i will go with defensive ends i think it's too easy because it is the obvious answer um i look you know part of it was Kendo joshua Kendo last year he got hurt early i think in the first game not his fault a little bit of a dirty play if i remember correctly um but you, you never really got anything from him last season and the defensive end play this season was i don't yeah jermaine johnson was a special special player it was night and day better than what it was last season um you're Not going to be able to replace that production. Um, I agree with what Juan said, they were one of the better defensive end tandems in the entire country. Yeah.
0: Sure. Um,
1: so I that that's it. But if you know, if I have to pick another one besides the obvious, yeah, I'll go with I'll go with the secondary also. Just you know, going back to remember, we could didn't have anyone who could play boundary quarterback last season. You had a lot of guys, uh, some of them, you know, they they seemed soft or slow, and there's still issues. I I don't think you know, kind of doing an autopsy here that the secondary was as good or as talented as I was hoping they would be coming into the season, but they did improve a lot from last season. Um There's no denying that. Uh, and part of it too, second year in a in system and things like that. So my real answer is the defensive ends, but I have to give props to the secondary. They, they come a long way this season. So
0: uh, I'm proud of them. Yeah, and look, on the topic of defensive ends, a little little breaking news here at 9 p.m. on a Thursday. Walter Camp, first-team All-American, and Jermaine Johnson. So that uh, that's that's a high honor. So hats off to him. Obviously, maybe that helps Juan's MVP argument 10 minutes after he just made it. So hats off to him. Uh, for me, I, I do want to give a, a bit of a, of a nod to the offensive line, I, I thought they would be more of a liability. They they found the ability to at least run block um, very solidly, which was more than I really anticipated. The way they started the year, but I still don't think they were great, um, but they were okay to solid, maybe if you want to go that way. So that'd be my only other consideration.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and 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 take a steaming poop on your your decision here. <laughs> um, they if you if you look at the difference when they were running the ball with Jordan Travis in the game versus uh, Tate Rodemaker or Mackenzie Milton in the game yeah it was drastic. Um, and you know obviously Jordan Travis is arguably the, the a, a top three running quarterback in college football um, but he also it's just the extra body that he provides they're not able to block without that. And obviously a lot yep. of teams, you know, obviously do that now, period, just because it's effective. But, I mean, I think they, they were improved, but they were they were a good run-blocking line last year with Travis too. So to me, it's it's a question of were they that much better? No, I think they actually were a bit of a, a letdown to me because I saw what they were able to do in run-blocking and, you know, how they were finally able to get to use them. But, yeah, I mean – they weren't a letdown, obviously, and they were improved. But I think yeah. uh, you, you can't you can't you can't use that answer seriously.
0: Well, my my only thought was I was all preseason. The conversation was, this is going to be the drastic liability of the team if they're going to move the ball at all. They're going to do it in spite of the offensive line. They didn't do it because of the offensive line. But I just didn't think they were a a, a massive hindrance to their ability to move the ball. They were a problem but well, maybe not as bad of a problem as as I kind of thought.
2: Yeah, no. And the other thing is, you know, they, were, they weren't they were so bad that the defensive linemen got worse from having to practice against them. Right, um, yeah. There's some, <laughs> there's some folks out there who think that you can't make a productive defensive lineman if you have a bad, bad offensive line. Uh, Keir Thomas, Jermaine Johnson, Bjorn Werner, and Brandon Jenkins all have something to say about that. So, to
0: that up. <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, so thank you for being good enough to make the guys better in practice. Uh, last so one for
2: you so much that you make the defensive line worse.
0: Yes, exactly. Stop. Don't make the guys worse. Thank you for that. Um, I'll go first on this one. My last one position group. Most that need this off season uh, that needs to be addressed. I, I think it's, I don't know. You could really go, I think anywhere other than other than quarterback, I guess running backs are fine um i think it has to be wide receiver you've got to get somebody who can make plays hopefully if it's johns guy malik mclean takes a step forward but you've got to find somebody who can create space and be a a a yak threat be someone who can just be open for quick hitting passes you couldn't find anybody when you needed it to to make a difference so i would say you've got to find a receiver and i and i think that's where You can look to the portal. Maybe Michael Pittman is that guy. If it works out, Um, but yeah, they they've got to find somebody. What do you guys think? What's what's the group you want to see addressed most seriously this offseason?
2: Oh man, Um, so many (laughs) to choose
0: from. Anywhere but quarterback.
2: One, I would say, just purely on numbers, um, they need to bring in a good a a good amount of offensive linemen. Uh, They're 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 death chart now is, you know, it's, it's gotten pretty thin. I mean, you know, you're losing a couple of your, uh, you're, you're, you losing a, a good utility player in, in DLT, Devontae Love-Taylor, uh, Avian Johnson, you're not losing all that much there. Um, but, you know, I think that there's, uh, there's, there's a need to replace bodies at this point on the offensive line. And I think that's really the key. Um, because depth was one of the biggest issues there is, you know, whatever, whatever baby and Johnson had to play at center, things got pretty bad quickly. Um, so.
1: Uh, I'm going to have to do a top three. I can't pick just. Yeah,
0: there we go. There
1: we go. Uh, I'm going to do. Yeah, we could actually. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, one a and one B for me are receivers and offensive tackles. Um, got to get somebody in the portal attack on the portal recruit uh receivers are just a mess like i said i like malik mcclain i still don't know yet if he's a future number one or number two guy uh, but he was the only one who had any potential um or showed any potential this season um i know there's some young guys too that norvell's recruited like joshua grill uh could maybe do something next year jackson west maybe a tight end we, we see something but you got it it's just both of those rooms they got to do something um and then number three for me would be uh the linebackers. linebackers, uh, you, you got to get some more kids. The, I really liked Kalen delocha's development this season, especially in the second half, but you need, you need some more kids that can run. Um, I know there's been some speculation. Maybe, maybe they look at moving Lundy down to defensive end, edge rusher, edge defender, something like that. But you need, you need a couple guys who can run sideline to sideline and cover. Um yeah, those are my those are my top three. I, I mean look, here's the only two. we can do a top 10. Let's let's keep it going. Number four. You, <laughs> uh you need some defensive ends. Number five, yeah. you need some you need some safeties. Number six, can we can we get a boundary, a lockdown boundary corner? You know, it's just you can keep going on and on. Um, but the, yeah, there's definitely a priority list. There's a couple roster spots, uh position groups that were not close. Florida State territory. I think obviously the worst was receivers. They were the worst or second worst position group um, in the ACC. So long way to go. Um, But like I said, it should improve. Oh, here's the other thing about transfers still. I will say too. I remember someone pointing out that some of them, like Jermaine Johnson and other guys, they didn't come till December or till January or February um, like that. So uh, you got to be patient. It won't just be December. So
0: yeah, that's a great point. I think it was uh, the latest one that made a difference this year, I think, was was Dylan Gibbons didn't come until maybe April. Yeah. So, I, you know, you've got a lot of time there where, where the transfers can still happen. And, and, you know, you can have guys end up popping in in, in, in the summer too. really when it comes down to it. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity for guys to come in if it works out that way. Um, you know, obviously the week to watch for is this next week as it seems like a lot of guys are putting their name out there plus recruiting happening we could see a big change in the roster at that point um I think we'll be back next week to kind of look at that and get you a good idea I'm also working on trying to get some interviews lined up maybe with some guys around the team uh as well to kind of carry us through the holidays as well I know I'll be out of town and maybe the guys can whether you run those or the guys can fill in but um Plenty of stuff still going on as the early signing day comes up quickly and this transfer portal really keeps churning. So we'll see what next week gives us. But for Brian, John, and Juan. That is a wrap. <laughs>